Hi, I'm Dr. Sang Sim. Welcome to Cancer Updates. Weekly, we review uh, recent journal articles that may be useful for practicing physicians such as myself in cancer management. The first article I'd like to present is in the New England Journal of Medicine, March 28th, 2019, titled Overall Survival with Falvestrant Plus Anastrozole in Metastatic Breast Cancer. This was a final survival outcome report on a previously reported data randomizing patients with hormone receptor positive metastatic breast cancer to either aromatase inhibitor anastrozole plus fulvestrant versus anastrozole alone. The results demonstrated a significant improvement in overall survival in patients who were treated with combination of fulvestrant plus anastrozole. Of 707 patients who were randomized, 694 were available for analysis. There was a median survival of 49.8 months in patients who were treated with the combination therapy versus 42 months in patients treated with anastrozole alone. Differences in survival were more obvious in patients who had never received prior hormonal therapy. Toxicities between the two arms were similar, and there was a 45% crossover to the fulvestrant plus anastrozole arm after progression on anastrozole alone. Differences in overall survival were still obvious despite this crossover. In the same issue of the New England Journal, study derilutamide in non-metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer was reported. In this study, patients with non-metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer with PSA doubling times calculated at 10 months or less were randomized in a 2-to-1 fashion to receive either derilutamide versus placebo in patients who continued on androgen deprivation therapy. 1,509 patients were randomized, 955 patients to the darilutamide arm versus 554 to placebo. Median metastasis-free survival was significantly different, with 40.4 months in patients treated with darilutamide versus 18.4 months in patients treated with placebo alone. In addition, darilutamide therapy improved overall survival, time to pain progression, time to cytotoxic chemotherapy, and time to symptomatic skeletal events without any increase in adverse events treated on both arms. Now looking at the Journal of Clinical Oncology, the NRG Oncology RTOG 0813 study was reported looking at the safety and efficacy of a five-fraction stereotactic body radiotherapy in patients with centrally located non-small cell lung cancer. These were medically inoperable patients with biopsy-proven T1 to T2 centrally located non-small cell lung cancers. Patients were treated with five fractions of radiosurgery doses between 10 to 12 gray per fraction over a one-and-a-half to two-week period. After a median follow-up of 37.9 months, reported grade 3 toxicity occurred in 7.2% of patients treated to 12 gray per fraction times 5. Local control at 2 years was reported at 87.9%, overall survival at 72.7% at 2 years, and progression-free survival at 54.5% at the 12 gray arm. This study demonstrated the feasibility and safety of patients being treated with centrally located non-small cell lung cancers. Disease outcome and morbidities associated with treatments were comparable to those reported in patients who had peripheral located disease. 
Therefore, it is safe and feasible to treat patients with centrally located non-small cell lung cancer using body radiosurgery. In the same issue, a phase 2 Keynote 158 study looking at pembrolizumab in patients with advanced cervical cancer were reported. There were 98 patients treated with pembrolizumab, of which 83.7%, equaling 82 patients, had pdl one positive tumors. Overall response rate was 12.2%, with three complete responses and nine partial responses. All patients responding had pd one positive tumors. Treatment-related grade 3 to 4 adverse events occurred in 12.2% of patients. Median duration of response in those that did respond was not reached. Pembrolizumab monotherapy demonstrates a good treatment option for patients with advanced cervical cancer who progress on prior chemotherapy. The response appears to be durable with a manageable safety profile. A rapid communication from the JCO comparing paclitaxel plus fluorouracil versus cisplatin plus fluorouracil in chemoradiotherapy for locally advanced esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, a randomized multicenter phase 3 clinical trial. This was a randomized study evaluating patients with squamous cell carcinoma of the esophagus treated with either taxol plus 5-FU versus cisplatin plus 5-FU. 436 patients were enrolled with a median follow-up of 48.7 months in surviving patients. Overall survival was not significantly different between the two arms. Three-year overall survival was reported as 55.4% in patients treated with paclitaxel plus fluorouracil versus 51.8% in patients treated with cisplatin plus fluorouracil. Three-year progression-free survival was also not different. Toxicity profiles were different between the two arms. Paclitaxel plus fluorouracil demonstrated lower incidences of acute grade 3 or higher anemia, thrombocytopenia, anorexia. However, there were higher incidences of acute grade 3 or higher leukopenia, radiation dermatitis, and radiation pneumonitis. Therefore, no clear winner between the two arms. Now looking at the Lancet Oncology, a study evaluated pertusumab plus trastuzumab for HER2-amplified metastatic colorectal cancer. Study, nicknamed My Pathway, is an ongoing Phase 2A study evaluating patients with HER2-amplified metastatic colorectal cancer treated with a combination of trastuzumab plus pertuzumab. Of 57 patients who were treated, there was one patient with a complete response and 17 patients who had a partial response. This amounted to a 32% objective response rate when adding the two. The most common adverse events reported included diarrhea in 33%, fatigue in 32%, and nausea in 30% of patients. There were no treatment-related deaths. The study demonstrates significant activity with pertusumab and trastuzumab in patients with HER2-amplified metastatic colorectal cancer in patients who were previously heavily treated. In the same issue, stereotactic ablative radiotherapy versus standard radiotherapy in stage 1 non-small cell lung cancer, a phase 3 open-label randomized controlled trial was presented. This was a phase 3 randomized controlled trial in Australia 
and New Zealand. Peripherally located T1 to T2A N0 non-small cell lung cancers were included. Patients were medically inoperable or refused surgery. Patients were randomized 2 to 1 to body radiosurgery versus standard radiotherapy. Body radiosurgery doses included either 54 gray in three 18 gray fractions or 48 gray in four 12 gray fractions. Standard radiotherapy included 66 gray in 33 fractions of two gray fractions or 50 gray in 20 daily fractions of 2.5 gray. 101 eligible patients were enrolled, 66 in the body radiosurgery arm and 35 in the standard arm. There was a 14% local recurrence rate in patients who received body radiosurgery versus 31% in patients who received standard radiation. Toxicities were not significantly different. However, in the body radiosurgery group, one grade 4 adverse event and seven grade 3 adverse events were noted, while in the standard treatment group, only two grade 3 adverse events were noted. Obviously, there was a 2 to 1 randomization, so there were more patients in the body radiosurgery group. This study further confirms the advantage of using body radiosurgery in patients with peripherally located stage 1 non small cell lung cancer over standard fractionated radiation therapy. Now, looking at the Red Journal, an interesting article looking at the impact of smoking and outcome of patients with HPV related oropharyngeal carcinomas treated with radiation or surgery. This was only a retrospective study, however interesting. There were 352 patients evaluated, of which 238 patients received primary chemoradiotherapy, and 114 patients were treated with surgery with or without adjuvant therapy. Patients who described themselves as current smokers had significantly worse relapse-free survival and overall survival compared to patients who were described themselves as never or former smokers. In addition, survival appeared to be related to the number of pack years smoking history. The five-year overall survival for patients who smoked 10, 20, and 30 pack years was 73.2%, 64.7%, and 59.1% respectively. These differences were true regardless of the primary modality of treatment. So, even in HPV-positive or pharyngeal cancer patients, smoking is ill-advised and likely negatively affects treatment outcome. And that's all I have for this week. I hope you found this useful, and I hope you'll join me in future podcasts.